I, uh, whew, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> hope that balcony holds. Anyway, um, <laughs> you people down here really hope the balcony holds. It has, for the most part, most of the time. Hey, uh, I'm kind of having a moment right now. You ever have moments? I'm having a moment right now. I'm having a moment just, just sitting here and just uh, 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 basking in all that God has done. If you're brand new in this room this morning, you, you are sitting around some really cool people. And I really mean that. I am, I am privileged to be uh, uh, the pastor of this place or one of the pastors of this place and, and have been around the longest. Uh, so I'm just privileged to do that. It, is, it has been a great ride here at Hope. Uh, and if you're brand new... Don't, don't hear me wrong. They're really strange people in this room. <laughs> but they're great people because they've put their hope in God, and they're different. They're different. They're, we're all still kind of messed up, not just kind of. We're all really messed up, but we're people who are messed up with an anchor, which is Jesus. And so I just want to commend you if, if you're here for the first time and thinking, what kind of people are these? They're regular, normal, extraordinarily messed up people. And I encourage you with that, and I love you all. I just have had a great couple of weeks, spring retreat, and then back here Sunday night, and then with Cordua Conference, where we were with a bunch of pastors with the Evangelical Free Church, and then Chicago with the Gospel Coalition, and passed out for on Friday. I just passed out. <clears throat> Don't, I just passed out. I wasn't anything involved with passing out. I just was tired. <laughs> But uh, my cup is very full, and as I, th- I think about these last years, uh, it, is, it has been a privilege because, if you haven't figured it out, in this room at least, I'm pretty old. And uh, I, as I was reflecting on it, kind of getting ready for what we're going to talk about this week, I started thinking about how old I am. I got married in 1988. This is a picture of myself... Come on now, a little something for Carol too here. Come on. Uh, 1988. Some of you weren't even born in 1988. Right? Raise your hand if you weren't born in 1988. Shut up! That is stupid. What? I expected a couple people. I know we can make room. You guys can just go. I'm just kidding. It's great. It's great to be to be young. And if you look at that picture, you know, man, look at me. Uh, I've I've gotten gray. I've gained weight. I've got wrinkles. I mean, I've changed, right? You look at Carol. Her hair's longer now. <clears throat> I feel like I'm married to Benjamin Button here or something, you know? <laughs> driving on our motorcycle about a year ago and a guy says, how come all the old guys get the young women? Let alone secret. I'm not saying by how much, but she's actually older than I am. Significantly. (laughs) 1988, I got married in South Bend, Indiana. And this is a picture of that. And it was it was a great day. It was 102 degrees, humid as all can, can get out, and uh, we were in an air-conditioned church. I was praising God for greatly. Uh, I remember the Dubais talking about their wedding right here. 271 degrees, they said. what sixteen or so? Well, you said it was unreal. It was just unreal. One of the reasons we put in the AC here, just because it's so crazy to do a wedding in this place without... Without that, but it was a great it was a great experience, and I I, uh, I it was a great a great moment in my life. One of my privileges here at Hope has been to do weddings. Uh, in our first seven years of existence, we are in a different church building. We didn't own that building, and the building was a real small one. Uh, it only really sat four weddings, about 125 people. And that's that's about I, I had about that many people, or 150 or so at my wedding. But normal weddings today are somewhere in there, 125 to, up, to upwards of 200. So people want bigger venues, and so we, very, we did very few weddings at that building. We did them mostly other places. But as I've come to this building, I have come to love weddings, uh, uh, to do weddings, and it's my favorite part of the wedding 
is the processional, okay? And the processional part of it is my favorite in this church uh, because there is no center aisle. People usually bum about that, but there's either they can come right down here, and that's just a fun thing, the, the, the groom is standing right over there, or, and, and this is my favorite, uh, is when they're, they come from up there. And the bride will walk all the way down and all the way down here and all the way there and then all the way here. And, and this poor sucker over here is like, come on, giddy up, let's go. And it is just, it's just grand entrance that, especially as you're coming down these stairs and with, along the stained glass there, and I apologize, this is right in there. You guys are the sunglass section today. Sorry about that. Uh, but it just, it's a beautiful thing. And that whole idea of the procession, and I'm not a formal person. I, I really don't like formality a whole lot. But at that moment, that's one of the ones I really like. It's just nobody's saying a word, and yet books and books and books are being written, right? All kinds of things are happening as this processional is taking place. Today, what I want to talk about, I'm shifting just a little bit from the, what's in your uh, sermon, uh, in your, nobody ever looks at what's in there anyway, but I, I'm calling this uh, a tale of two processionals. I want to talk today about two different processionals in, in Scripture, one of which is in from the book of Song of Solomon. So, if you get, want to grab that little insert there, if you want to do that, or open your Bible up to the book of Song of Solomon. If you're new to the Bible, Song of Solomon is an Old Testament book. Uh, we've been in this now for, we've went five weeks in the book of Song of Solomon, then we had three-week series, I'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, which dealt with the issues of false intimacy, and then we're, we're back on with Song of Solomon for a week here, and then we're going to do Easter next week, and then we'll, we'll finish, we'll spend the rest of our time until I think it's June 12th or whatever uh, in the book of Song of Solomon. So uh, if you're new to the Bible, just open your Bible in the middle, you might hit it. If not, uh, you probably came to Psalms or Proverbs, go keep going to the right, you go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. It's hard, it's Song of Solomon is a very little book. Uh, and so you may not hit it, but that's where it is if you're looking in the Bible. So that's an easy way to find it. I want to catch you up to speed because it's been a few weeks since we've actually been in the book of Song of Solomon. We, we took a, a break for spring retreat and then three weeks on this false intimacy thing. And so we've been a little bit out of it for a little bit. So let me catch you up to speed with what's going on. From the very first chapter, we started by talking about attraction. Remember that? Where, where she comes out, she's speaking they're not dating yet, at least the way I understand the book. They're, they're, she's just interested in this guy, and she says things like, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. You are a chick magnet. That's not in the text. I add that. But that you are, I mean, people really like you. The, the maidens really like you. And now she says, I, I want to be with you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king Bring me into his chamber. She's already thinking, I want to be married to this guy. I want the wedding night, is what she's asking. She's attracted to him. This led, if I'm just kind of speeding through, so there's like messages in here, but this led then to ultimately her going and finding her, hanging out with her, remember that? Uh, putting her tents by the shepherds and that whole kind of thing. And then that leads to uh, the DTR. You know, the, the infamous define the relationship talk where, you know, you kind of say, I kind of like you and the person says, I kind of like you, and great, we're, we're off and running, or I kind of like you, and the other person's, uh, <laughs> is there a Twins game on we could go catch, or can I any, insert anything here, uh, you know, I just don't know what to say, I'm not sure, all kinds, of, it's very awkward, um, I heard that there were several DTRs at the spring retreat, <laughs> several DTRs. Uh, this one for Song of Solomon ended favorably, where uh, uh, she she responds to him. I, or no, excuse me. He responds to her saying, "I liken you, my darling, to a mare among the chariots, harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh." In other words, you are distracting me seriously. I really appreciate you. For those of you who are just, you know, those I'll just speak to the men in the room for a second. Uh, if you are in a brand new relationship from Spring Retreat. Just remember my motto about the shotgun thing right here. That's me. And, and the women are like my daughters. That's all I'm saying. That's what I look like on the weekends uh, up until Sunday. So uh, I remember once I just come, I used that line here at Hope, and I just come back from trap shooting. And I'm a pretty good 
pretty good trap shooter. I have yet to get 25 out of 25, but I've several times gotten 24, which means if you're lucky, I'll miss you once. <laughs> but I've got an automatic, and I'll, I will not miss twice. So I'm just saying. Okay. That's an unrelated thing. I own a shotgun. That's unrelated to the DTR thing. This then led to a courtship period and a proposal. And, and uh, Solomon, we, we understand it to be Solomon. It maybe isn't, but because poetry is a very, very difficult thing. You'll see that today as well. He, he leads us to uh, asking her to come along with him. He says, my lover spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. The winter's past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves, doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. And he says it again, arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove is a clefts of rock in the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. If you didn't use those words, gentlemen, you, you, you blew it. You had it. This was it. All you do is read that. You, oh, yeah, anyway. She responds back. She says, yes, my lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies and yet he chooses me. Everybody else is like a thorn among the lilies. He's chosen me and I will take him. That's her answer. Okay? This then led to, not the way I would have written the song, but this then led to this really interesting, strange kind of dream. Remember that? She has this dream. She longs for him. And she's, she says all night long on my bed, I looked for one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I'm going to kind of cut a few things. If you skip down to verse 4, she's out looking for him. She can't find him. She's freaking out. And it's this weird dream, okay, or this weird fantasy she's having. Scarcely had I passed them, these watchmen, when I found the one my heart loves, I held him and would not let him go, stuffing till I brought him to my mother's house, to the room of him, of the one who conceived me. Again, that's a very, very sensual thing to say for someone. They're not yet married. The whole thing, this is what's going on in her mind. And then she puts the brakes on, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the Doze of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Which led us that week to talking about the difference between love and lust. Right? We had love, or is it love, or is it just flat out lust? Right? So it's like, which, which way is this going? And so we looked at that, and we contrasted it with Proverbs chapter 7. And what, what the difference is, was if you look in Proverbs 7, I'm not going to go through the whole thing here, but it, Solomon is explaining to his son in Proverbs 7, what that looks like. What does lust look like? And he uses this, uh, this analogy, this woman who comes out, uh, who is enticing this guy, okay? Go to the next one here. It says, uh, she's saying these words to him. I have fellowship. She's trying to entice this guy by saying, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with covered lin colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. And then Solomon says, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare. I think we get the idea. I mean, he's got a lot of analogies here. This is not good, okay? Death happens here. L little knowing it will cost him his life. And Solomon's trying to teach that this whole love category, it's a dangerous thing. And it can end in a train wreck when you just follow your passions and let them be the only thing. And it's, it's dangerous. And it, and, and it is. And we'll talk about that, especially as you get later on in the book of Song of Solomon. They're going to open up and real clearly talk about the difficulties, the pain that happens involved with love gone wrong. Love is a, it talks about love being a mighty force, and it is. So we put up a chart, and we said, here's the difference between love and lust. Both are very passionate, but there's, very much, there's a lot of differences when you start to look at what love seeks and what lust seeks. Love actually wants 
maximum pleasure, but is willing to offer self-control or discipline to get it. Lust says, I want maximum pleasure, and I'm convinced this is the way I can get it, and I will go there no matter what. I will give in to whatever my flesh, whatever my body's craving, because that will satisfy. But the reality is it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy. And you have to tell yourself that now, when you're just kind of normal, as opposed to when you're feeling these incredible lustful thoughts. Because then, all you can think about is, giddy up, you know, I'm horny, you know, so here we go. And that's all you can think about as opposed to, wait a minute now, I want maximum joy. How do you actually get there? All right? So it's kind of like chocolate, rich chocolate. I don't really like chocolate, but if you like chocolate, I know there was almost a gasp there when I said I didn't like chocolate, but if you like chocolate, you get that really rich stuff, you know, where you take a little bite, like deep fudge or something, you know, really rich. And you go, oh, I love that. And you take a bite of it. Oh, oh, that's good. Right? You are gonna hew if you do that. It's not you're not made. It's not made for that. It's made for self-control to enjoy. And there's a lot of things in life that are beautiful when they're enjoyed and they're done the right way, right? Other things are dangerous if you just, and love and lust are definitely some of them. All right, now, with that, this then brought us that last part where, oh, go one more back one, just a sec, I, I, I fooled you, I was messing with you, sorry. It says the end is a life-giving relationship and lust ends up being aloneness and shame, or even worse, other relational issues that are really hard to undo. Not impossible, but hard. And that led to a three-week study that, that CORE led us through, which I think has shaped a lot of us in thinking through the issue of false intimacy, especially in the areas of pornography and the tremendous, the tremendous effect that that has had in our culture and society. It's huge. I mean, back when I was a pup, in order to, do, in order to see pornography, you know, like a movie, I would have had to have thought about it, said, okay. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive down to block E or somewhere over here. I'm going to risk the shame of somebody seeing me going into this building. And I'm going to put quarters in a machine or whatever and sit there, be kind of grossed out by being in that place, and then get back out. Again, I have to walk to my car and go home. That, that barrier kept most people to a very mild pornographic interest. It really did. Dude, if you haven't figured it out yet, maybe I hate to be the one to tell you. The internet, it's there now. Two clicks and I'm bored and boom. And, and I feel for you who are going through this period of your life, unlike the time when I was shaped, it's very, very different. Very, very different. I remember we had a, you know, as a kid, we'd see a porno magazine. It was very, very mild compared to what some of the things... You all have to deal with images. Now, big thing. Core talked about this. It's great. It forms a, a cavern. But it does form a cavern. That's totally true. But our gospel is bigger than a cavern. And it, it is enough to make a dam upstream. D-A-M, okay? A dam upstream. D-A, did I spell it right? D-A-M, yeah. And, and to, re, to reroute that river. It is. The gospel is deep enough to do that. And so Cord did a great job of talking about that. Not only porn, but out-of-bound out of sexuality. Out-of-bound sexuality. Why? Because God's a killjoy? No, because God wants maximum joy. And there isn't anything as just a, a you know, friend with benefits. That we're just, no big deal. It doesn't work that way. Your heart is being given to that person relationally. And it's not because God says, oh, I want, it, I want it to be my way. I give this great gift called sex, but you can't have it. No, it's not that at all. It's because he wants it done in a way that it was designed to give you maximum intimacy. So Tacor did a great job with that. Now, 
Where does that lead us? Back to Song of Solomon. We went through the, the attraction, the DTR, the courtship. Then we, that led us up to uh, the proposal. Then this kind of strange dream, which I don't know how exactly, maybe you need to have a strange dream somewhere in there. And then the next phase is today, I want to talk about procession number one I want to talk about is a royal wedding. Okay? Just trying to be hip with you people who are not born before 1988. This is a picture of Prince Charles and Diana. Isn't it? I'm sorry, no. A big wedding coming up, right? April 29th. I remember, I still remember uh, Princess Di's wedding. Big deal, right? Big deal. When was that, though? Anybody know? It was in the 80s, right? 72. Security. <laughs> wow. I think it was in the 80s, wasn't it? She died in 97, right? So she was a pretty big deal before that, so it must have been in the, in the 80s. So... Um, but this will be for your generation, I think, a big deal. It'll be great, right? Big royal wedding. A lot of fun. Great. William and Kate, right? Katie? Katie. It's Katie, isn't it? I'm going to call her Katie. <laughs> Gosh. Let's read through this. It's a huge... Uh, we're going to look at this passage this morning, so uh, we're going to finish up chapter 3 of Song of Solomon. Let me read it through, and then we'll, we'll talk about this. All right. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke, perfum, uh, perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple, its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. Okay, this is uh, the processional. There is no mention of the wedding, ironically, in Song of Solomon. It's going to happen in the white space between 3.11 and 4.1. And we'll talk about that next week. I'll talk about uh, that, that whole element and the covenant involved there. And, but it's just white space, so I could talk for a long time. You couldn't tell me I'm wrong. Now, I want to look at this. I want to stop along the way uh, I guess I'm making five stops, but the first one I'm just going to, just a point of clarity, but the other four, I, I want to make uh, four stops along the way, and I want to kind of look at this three different ways, all right? Now, the first way you've never heard, I can guarantee you, in your life, you've never heard a sermon on this, and you never will again, because I'm, uh, I'm never doing it again. Uh, first one is, I actually want to talk about wedding preparation. <laughs> okay, great. Weird, all right? Two, I want to talk about what that looks like when you're married. And then I just want to talk uh, for, uh, it just goes to everybody, all this goes for everybody, but especially this last one, what is this, some life issues? What does this say about us as people? When this issue is brought up, what does this say about us as people, okay? So I'm going to stop those three things, we're going to talk about those three things along the way at, at, at those, those other four stops. All right, let's take a look at this. First thing is we got a problem with the first word. Again, this is poetry. Poetry is really difficult. It's kind of like interpreting, like a, somebody wrote a song, right? And well, this is a song. So, but I mean, it, it, it's difficult to interpret some of this stuff because their point sometimes isn't the way we're looking at it. They kind of just want to get a, a picture painted. And, but we, we're trying to ask some questions of the picture that maybe even the artist isn't going after. So I just want to explain to you why this is a problem. And then uh, basically it doesn't matter, but I want... I, I'm going to lean one way, but just know that everything that I say could also be taken the other way, and it'd, be, it'd work just fine. <laughs> Let me show you why. The first word of this is who. Who is this coming up from the desert? Does anybody have a Bible open other than an NIV? What does it say? There. Song of Solomon uh, 3.6. What? Oh, you're answering me. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. That's really stupid. Uh, 
it says, what is this coming up from the sea? Okay? So it's, it's, a, it's a weird phrase. And what basically is happening here is the translators are kind of, they have a problem. And the problem is, if it's who, and you read it, you read it through, who does it sound like is coming? Just, we read it through once. Who does it sound like? Solomon, right? The problem is the who is feminine. Now, we don't have that in English, but if you have it in other, you know, Spanish or other languages, you know how that goes. The, the noun has a feminine language to it or a feminine ending. This is a feminine ending. So it's like, wait a minute now. It sounds like Solomon's coming and you got a, you got a who that's feminine. So there's one of three possibilities. One, it, it is Solomon. It's just the way that they happen to write it. Two, it should be what and the, 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 the feminine word here is actually the carriage that's being, that's being uh, talked about, the carriage that's coming, which is like saying, uh, you know, talking about your car. Isn't she a beauty, right? You never say, isn't he a beauty? Cars are all feminine, right? Anybody got a male car? That's just weird. So uh, it's just, isn't she a beaut, right? You look at the whole bus. Isn't she a beaut, right? There's this. So. That's, and it is, uh, the carriage is actually a feminine word. It could be that. The third one is, and this is actually the one I take, but again, it won't really matter, but I just want to let you know, that actually, it's her coming. That, that Solomon sent this out to get her, and she's coming back to Jerusalem. And I just lean that way based because it's a feminine word, and it seems like it's put there on purpose. But the other passage, the rest of it makes it sound like Solomon. It'll work for all of that. Just don't get too worried because I'm going to, the rest of the time I'm going to talk as if she's coming. But it doesn't have to be that way. It could be any which way. It, it would make sense, okay? It could be her going, him going out to get her and to come back, or it could be him, well, that's what it could be, yeah. They're going to come back to, to Jerusalem. So, okay, that's just a point of clarification. And there is, there is precedence for this, right? Genesis chapter 2. When, when God made Eve, it says, So the Lord God caused the man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. So God takes a rib. He closes up the place with flesh. So he heals it over. And then it says he made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. Right? But you think he'd just do it like two feet away. Or I don't know how much room do you need to make a woman. Four feet maybe. So never made one. So I don't know. But he doesn't. There's a distance involved. Because then it says, and he brought her to the man. So I don't know why he went over here to do it, and then he escorts the first way. You know, I'd like to have God Almighty be the one who walks you down the aisle, but that's how it worked. Okay, and so he brings her. So it's possible, possible. Not saying for sure, but it's the way I see it. Okay, now with that said, let's take a look at this, and now look at our four stops. First one, rest of six, chapter, chapter, or verse 6. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke, uh, perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? So, if you're looking at what's happening, you're seeing in the distance something coming, okay? And you're seeing like smoke. It looks like a column of smoke coming. So something is coming towards you, all right? And then they get close enough and you can smell it. So there's this smell that goes, and it's a good smell. Myrrh and incense burning. So they're burning this incense. It's so much that it's making a big pile of smoke. Did anybody grow up in traditions with the, you know, the smells and bells that go into church? I, I kind of, the smells and bells, that's, we should get that back. Yeah, something. Or not shower or something. We get the smell. No, no. But it's just something cool about that. I did not grow in that tradition, but to get that smell, the incense and whatever, just as a, a one more uh, uh, sense to get into the whole thing. Well, that's what happens is in this whole thing, there's not only the cloud of smoke, but it is, it, it smells nice. And just... And just in the way, whether he's going to get her or I take it that she's coming and it's a way to announce that, that she's coming or it's a way to announce that the char carriage is going, he's going to get her or whichever, but it's a way to announce that or something I want to call declaration, okay? It's a declaration. He's screaming to the world, this one, this one's mine, okay? This is, it's, it's a big declaration. Now, let me take those three takes I said I was going to take, and, and we'll follow this. First one, wedding planning. Let's, go, let's just get right after it here. 
Some of you are planning a wedding. Some of you will. Some of you already did, and you can take note what you did wrong. Now, <clears throat> wedding planning. How do you declare this? How are you declarative? First thing is, and especially for the poor guys in the room, I want to say this. Be involved with the wedding planning. Be involved with the wedding planning. And that does not mean to whatever she says, you say whatever you want, baby. I, I, right? Because that is, <laughs> there was a hush right here when I said that. A couple jabs in the ribs at that moment too. Because uh, that just says, I, what does it say? Ladies, speak. What did that just say to you? Did you hear that, man? <laughs> wow. We just got a unanimous vote for the first time in church history at Hope Community Church. <laughs> Did you hear what they just said, Ben? What they, what they said was, I don't care. Now, the wrong response to that is what, guys? That's right, because I don't care. <laughs> Sometimes honesty is not the right answer, boys. All right? That is not the way to go about it. Because you actually do care, maybe not at a different level, but you care about them. All right? And it shows, it, it shows to them, the them. Here goes the them, he and them. But I don't mean, it can go both ways, but more typically it's this way. It shows that you don't, aren't really concerned about the things they're concerned about. Ooh, that hurt now. Because you do. So be involved. Be involved. And, but that doesn't mean if they have a preference and you don't have a preference, then great, Right? Be involved in the wedding planning. Second thing on here is uh, during the wedding planning phase, show off each other. Right? This guy has his big plumes of smoke going around saying, guess what? We're getting hitched. I, I, I saw, I saw, I, look, at, look at who I'm marrying up to. Right? Yesterday in the uh, kitchen, I said to Carol, I said, you know, I, I really married up. And you know what she did? She went, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, not, not maybe the answer I was looking for, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, well, do you ever think that you married up? And she goes, well, no. No, she, she said, I do, I do, which was really nice, right? But that's what you should be thinking about the other person. You should be showing them off. Now, that leads me to marriage. That leads me to marriage. And this is a big one. Let them know how proud you are of that other person. Let them know how proud you are. That doesn't mean that they're that sinful. Believe me. This will be 23 years that Carol and I have been married. And my depravity and her depravity shows in new ways every, every month. I'm not saying that. I am, however, saying that there's something very powerful when you introduce each other to, to other people and saying, this is my wife. I'm, I'm really proud of her. Or I'm, I'm, this is the woman who said, I call her my better seven-eighths. If you've been around, you know I say that. Or, or just different ways that you let each other know that you're actually proud of them. It doesn't mean they're not a doofus at times. I totally agree, but not all the time, or at least less of a time sometimes. Maybe that's what you say. He's a doofus most of the time. He's a little bit less today or whatever. I don't know. But do you do that? Do you champion each other? Declare, hey, this is my guy. Hey, this is my, this is my gal. Now in life. Now in life. I have one management secret at Hope Community Church as I have managed a staff from uh, the early days to now. One. And I'm going to give it away. I'll probably get fired tomorrow because I'm giving away my one and only secret. The only, here's, here's the way I manage people at Hope. I catch them doing something right and I do a radical thing. I tell them. I catch them doing something right, and I tell them. Man, it was a great job when you did that. And I tell other people. I forward the email on. Man, didn't Rachel do a great job with Spring Retreat? Right? No, that was a rhetorical question. Stop. Uh, <laughs> Rachel's like, no, bring it. Okay? Um, so you catch them doing something right, and you tell them. Because people think, well, they already know it. Let me just give you a little word. No, they don't. They don't know what you're thinking. 
And if you tell them, catch them, and guess what? Then pretty soon you start thinking about them in the positive as well. And yes, they have mistakes. They have mistakes they're going to make along the way. But if you're championing them, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, you'll start to realize you make a better friend because you're looking at their positives. You're declaring to them. Second thing. <clears throat> Look, verse 7. It is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword. Dude, this is a wedding processional, and they're wearing swords. Sounds like a, a wedding in my hometown, you know, it's where all strap and pack and heat. All, all experienced in battle, each with a sword at his hand, in case you admit the first time, they got a sword, uh, prepared for the terrors of the night. Now, David, his, his father, Solomon's father, had a thing called David's Mighty Men. Anybody know how many there were? Nobody knows. 30. Wow, I thought, you know, maybe those of you who grew up in going to Sunday school with the flannel graph would have 30 pictures or something. There's 30 guys. Now, this is 60. This is double that. This is double that. So, and it's all experienced in battle, all of them wearing swords. They're the noblest of all. All right? Now, generally, who accompanies or who is the one who are standing up over here? Best men of the, of the uh, groom, right? So these are not only the noblest and the great warriors, they're also good friends of Solomon. And they're coming. And what I think this shows here is this whole section right in here, we're going to talk about the carriage in just a minute, now, the beauty of it, but right now it's just going to talk about this, and it just talks about protection, right? <clears throat> you can be protected your way, I'm going to be mine. Talk about wedding planning. What does it mean to protect one another in wedding planning? Two, two, just real quick things. One, it is probably the most stressful period in your life. Bar none. It's just, it's just stressful. So how are you going to protect each other from the stress of it? How are you going to do that? How are you not going to let the stress get too great? I'm not normally a stressed out person, but I remember typing our wedding program. And I was typing away on my... Uh, actually had computers back then. It wasn't chiseled in stone, but it was, I was typing it. And I remember at one moment, it just hit me. All of the stress hit me. And I literally had to, I had one of those, I don't have many of these, but like an anxiety deal. And I literally had to put my head flat on the desk and just stop to get the blood back. It was like, whoa, what was that? This is stressful time. How are you protecting how are you protecting from the stress? And now, let me say something that's probably, I'm going to get a couple emails on, but that's okay. Court, C-O-R at HopeCC.com. <clears throat> How are you going to protect each other? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> from each other's families. Because uh, uh, um, it can be brutal. Uh, it can be just brutal. How... People treat each other and expectations each family has about this particular event, the way it's going to go, yada, 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 yada. Where's the reception going to be? Is there going to be alcohol at the reception or not? Uh, who's going to walk down the aisle? Who's going to stand up here? All that kind of drama. And how are you going to protect them? I know as when I do weddings, I protect in certain ways that I, uh, we work through the ceremony and then I tell them, all right, it's locked now. No one gets to change it but me. And that's to protect the couple so that when Aunt Martha comes down and says, ah, oh, I really want you to wear this cheese head. Because I did that. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's probably a case of bud that was involved too, but I'm not going to go there. Um, but I can look at Aunt Martha and I can say, no, we're not doing the cheese head. And I give them complete permission when Aunt Martha looks at them and says, your pastor's a jerk. You have my complete permission to say, I know. Gosh. I wanted to wear that, but he won't let us. I don't need to live with Aunt Martha. You know, it's fine. How are you going to protect each other from other people's expectation? By the way, if you get asked to stand up here, at some point in time, 
this is not about you. You are the Jack Bauer for these people. You're here to protect them the rest of their lives. You're making a covenant saying, I'm with you and I will champion you and I will kick your rear end if you think that you're going to go anywhere apart from each other. I'm there for that. Let me just say this, and this is also probably going to bother you a little bit. If you don't get asked to be here, you can still do that from down there. And part of doing it from down there as you're at the ceremony is, is not being, giving drama to the fact that you weren't up here. Okay? There's just, there's just a lot of stuff going on with brothers and sisters and uncles and the guy who did your car one time who wants to be there. And there's just all this stuff going through and it's probably nothing personal. Maybe it is and maybe that's something you've got to work through. But it's just this whole thing going on. Just champion them. Protect them. It's not about you. Marriage. What does it look like to protect one other marriage? Do you feel safe? Physically. Physically. Do you feel safe in your house or your apartment or wherever you are? Is it set up so that's safe? Simple, stupid stuff like smoke alarms. Uh, if you live in a rough area, uh, maybe you need an alarm system. Uh, maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm not making a statement like that. Do, do, do they feel safe physically? Do you always deal with conflict in such a way that there's never even a question that it would go in an area of physicality? You just, it, you know, are you protecting them? Financially, not that you need to have a lot of money, but is there an area where, where they're, you're, you're moving towards them, giving them protection, saying, yeah, we don't have a ton, but we're working, we're working through that. Emotionally, are you protecting them emotionally from things, or do you bring things up to them that would, would kind of damage them on purpose? And then... Um, Lastly, uh, spiritually. Spiritually, protecting them spiritually, praying for them, caring for them, rebuking the devil and his, and his dominions of, of demons that want to have places in, in your lives, your home, in life. Protection. What does it mean that somebody knows that you're for them? What does it mean for you that people know that you're a safe person? When they say something to you, can they know that it is trademarked you and not them and that it won't go anywhere without your permission? Are you a safe person? Are you a person people would come to and say, I need some of that strength. I want to come to you. I know it's not going to get blabbed about. I know it's not going to get used against me. I just need some safety. Will they run to you? Third area. There's this carriage, a Lebanese carriage even it is. It's a King Solomon, verse 9, made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior uh, uh, lovingly inlaid uh, by the daughters of Jerusalem. That last phrase, go one more there. Yeah, by the, by that last phrase could actually go with the next thing. So it's not necessarily done by the daughters of Jerusalem. That you'll see in the next one that could make sense where it's just its interior lovingly inlaid period, then it would say, daughters of Jerusalem, look. You know, then uh, it says, uh, uh, come out, you daughters of Zion. That's what will be the next thing. Yeah. So it could be that. So, ooh, that was slick. Nicely done. Uh, go a couple back. Then, so what do you have for her? He has this carriage built. He has this carriage built. And, it, and this, is no, this is no crapperware carriage. This is a beautiful carriage he has built for the situation. I think, again, it's for her that she's riding, but you could take it the other way. It doesn't matter. He, he has built this. He's done it to his own advantage or made for himself the carriage. And here's all these different things. It's made of costly, costly things. It's not just put together. It's more than just transportation. It's something to say clearly that he's invested in the relationship. He has invested money, time, effort, the whole thing. So the third area is investment. Are you invested in this? All right. Now, wedding. What does it mean? What does it mean to uh, invest? Your wedding, if, if, if God so leads you to get married, is probably the biggest party you're ever going to throw. All right? Other than your funeral and you're not there. So <laughs> your wedding is probably the biggest party you'll ever throw. Now, so then, you have to be willing, some of you who are very tight, 
with, with money, and that, that's a good thing, and God talks about stewardship, you're going to have to say, this is actually a good investment. There's a good ROI. Those of you who are into that, right? There's a good return on your investment. I saw the accountants go, he just cracked an accountant joke. That's funny. Uh, there, you're, you're investing here. It's not spending frivolously. You're investing. All right? So a wedding is expensive. You've got to ask, is this, does this have a good return or not? And I know there's different thresholds, and you have to work that through. It's very expensive, though, right? A wedding's expensive gig. That's one thing. The other thing in investing is uh, to when you're, you're, you're giving, you're giving into, at times, maybe some of your preferences as you work these things through for when you're going Talking about wedding planning, all right? You're invested in the wedding planning, but you're also saying, I'm willing to change some of my preferences. Now, let's talk about marriage. What does it mean to invest in your marriage? Most lady types, um, when you look at what their desires are for, their desire is that you talk with them, right? They, They want talk time. And so there's this, there's this interest in you actually investing time to ask this crazy question, and that is, how was your day? You might want to write that down. How was your day? And then you do this other radical, crazy thing. Write this down. Listen. I know, I know. I'm the love doctor. That's just it. How was your day? Listen to the answer. All right? Listen to what's going on. Carol loves it when I ask that. In fact, she's a great listener. I'm obviously the talker in the family. She's a great listener. And she has, she'll listen, listen, listen. And then I'll move on to something else. And she will say with beautiful and yet cutting words, which are good, they're good words, she'll say, you haven't asked me at all about my day. To which I say, you're right, I haven't. Uh, No, uh, Oh, man, I didn't. Man. Because you think you're the center of the universe, and, and, and we are to ourselves, but to actually sell someone invested in you, I'm going to talk, talk with them. Give, them. give them your time. Give them your talent. Give them your treasure. There are times to splurge in life. There are times to take a vacation that's maybe a little bit more than you would have otherwise. And I'm talking about getting into serious debt. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is there are ways you could sacrifice something else so you could do some of these things that you wouldn't normally do. And there's a time not to do that. I'm not trying to say it's always that way. But are, somehow you've got to communicate you're invested. Sometimes you can do a fantastic vacation very creatively that's not at all expensive. But it shows that you're invested. That's the point. You're invested. In life. In life. Are you investing in other people? Are you investing in other people? Do they know that they can have your time, your talent, your treasure, and your ticker, your heart? Do they know that? Are you that type of person so that they can feel that? Last one for for procession number one. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. And this crown probably isn't his royal crown. It probably, uh, not a lot is known about weddings at this time, but they think it probably was like a a crown of of flowers or whatever that they put on, and it was a way to just celebrate uh, what had happened. That leads my last thing is celebrate. Celebrate. That's what is going on here. Wedding preparation. Are you, actually, um, are you actually preparing just to get through this thing? Are you actually saying, dude, this is going to be the biggest party? If you're ever at a rehearsal that I do, and I do a fair amount of weddings here at Hope, one of the things I would say is, man, it's great that we're here tonight because tomorrow we're going to party. And that's what it is. It's the biggest party you'll ever throw for, for, you know, on an individual basis. It is a celebration. Are you thinking of it that way, or is there something we got to get through? Oh, man. No way, man. This is, this is the bee's knees. Those of you born before 1988, that means it's great. <laughs> Marriage. Do you celebrate each other? Do you take time to celebrate? 
Do you have a, those of you who are married, do you have a special place you go to when you celebrate? Carol and I have two. They're both restaurants. Very fun. One's in Stillwater called Mark's. One's in Arden Hills called Lindy's. Can I have an amen for the Lindy's, huh? There you go. Those are our, we reserve those for celebration places, places where we're going. We only go there when something we're there to celebrate. Do you have that? Do you have that in your rhythm that, you know what, we're going to celebrate? In life, we are, you know, our, the American culture is a culture that loves its do list and worships it. When you get something off the to-do list to the to-done list, do you actually celebrate it? Those of you who have a computer program where it just checks it and it disappears, that's evil. It should put a line through it, and then it should say, party, little balloon should come up. Wow, I brushed my teeth today, party, so I'm done. Do you celebrate stuff, or is it just on to the next thing, keep going? Hey, let's stop and party with people. Let them know that you're someone who just celebrates. When somebody says something happens, I'm great. You just go, that's awesome. Now, that's, that's uh, I'm not going to talk at all about the wedding per se. This is all just leading up to it. Next week we'll talk about the wedding. I want to lead us through a, uh, procession number two. And I want to do this because of the church calendar. These two passages do not link. Okay, I'm not saying what happens in Song of Solomon leads us to this. But today on the church calendar is Palm Sunday. And I just couldn't help thinking about this procession that happened in, in light of this other one. Believe me, if it wasn't Palm Sunday, I don't think these passages line up. Okay, so don't say, oh, this leads to that. I, I don't think so necessarily. But I just want to read this this morning and, and let your mind go on this procession that was way more important than the procession of King Solomon. Luke chapter 19. This is when Jesus is coming now for his last week before his crucifixion. And then his resurrection one week later. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, the same place he'll be arrested on Thursday, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell them, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead, excuse me, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners, or the ones who were in charge of keeping it, asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. I, I love that that's in Scripture, right? A couple of reasons. One, it just shows that Jesus is, is in control of this whole thing, and, the, and, and in this case, Luke decided it was important enough to write down. The second of which, I, as I can't help, but just putting myself in that situation. And there's this person, and they're, they're, they're taking, you're taking your cult, right? Why are you taking that? Oh, the Lord needs it. Oh, good for me. Uh, it's just an interesting little passage there. They brought it to Jesus. There's no saddle for Jesus. Instead, they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, all those are followers, not just the apostles, but disciple means uh, follower or learner, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miraculous miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It's not talking about Jagger and those guys. Uh, those of you born before 88, that's a rock band from England. Okay, he's just saying, this is such a momentous occasion that the, the, all, the, the dead stones would cry. This is the most incredible event that I'm coming in willingly and happily to come in. And those people who are along the line throwing their cloaks and some other pastors say, uh, uh, Matthew and Mark talk about waving palms, a way of saying, you are the incoming king into Jerusalem. And they're thinking he's going to take over the Romans. They're thinking by week's end, Jesus will do all these miracles and bash the Romans out. And instead, Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice. Jesus says he's not going to do that. In fact, he says the temple's going to be torn down. 
It says all these different things later on in Matthew and other places. And, and by the time we get to Friday, that's Friday. It's Sunday. When you get to Friday, which is a mere six days later, that same crowd that is yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, will be screaming in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Christ did that for you, which leads us to this week. This week is, is what church calendar calls Holy Week. This week is the week, I encourage you just maybe to walk through a gospel in, in Luke chapter 19 and on, or Matthew uh, 22, I think 22, maybe a little before that, on, uh, um, and, and follow through those last days of what happened this week with Jesus. And on Friday, he's, Thursday he's going to be arrested, on Friday he's going to be crucified. We're going to have two special ways to celebrate that here at Hope. One, one church down, uh, the Good Neighbor Fellowship, where we get together with five churches right here at noon, and then right back here at 7 o'clock for our annual Good Friday worship at 7 p.m. here, uh, the road to Golgotha, we're calling it this year. And then Sunday, which is Easter, he's risen. He's risen indeed. I know you want to say it. Uh, and, that, and, that's, and that's what we celebrate. Now, just for kicks, just because there is a bit of a tie. How does Jesus fit all these things? Those four things we mentioned, does Jesus fit those things? And he totally does. Does he declare to the world his love for you? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love in the, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of plume of smoke is that? Protection. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the, my Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. He dies for you in battle to protect you. Investment. Is Jesus invested in you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Jesus has taken his poker chips and has gone all in with you. And then lastly, celebration. Zephaniah 3.17, a prophecy of what's going to happen when Christ comes. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save you. He will take great delight in you and will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He celebrates you. Let me, let me uh, ask you a question here as we close this morning. Are you allowing Jesus Christ to so fill those four areas right there in your life so that you can give it to others. If you're married, you can give it to your spouse. If you're just dating someone, or perhaps on the way towards engagement marriage, you can give it to that person. Let's pray together. Lord God, I love how you use our lives and the things that are going on in our lives to show us what our real need is. And I thank you, God, that everybody in this room has in one way, shape, or form ministered to people, maybe even other people in this room, in those ways. And those are really important. God, I want to thank you for, for people that maybe, maybe even this spring are just starting a relationship or maybe even just at the attraction phase and it's, it's just getting going like that. And I want to thank you for that. God, I want to thank you for people in this room who are married. And Lord Jesus, just how much of a blessing that is. And at times it's a, it's a difficult blessing to manage. But it's a way that we can exercise these things. And God, regardless of our marital or relationship status, period. Because those are like 2% of what our real need is. And I really need to get these needs met from you. So Jesus, I pray no matter where we at, that relationships would never become an idol. And that we get all these needs met from you. And you'd be, you'd be the one we'd look to. And this week, we'd be way more enthralled with the king processing into Jerusalem than we would even our own wedding or thinking back to or thinking ahead to it. Or maybe just hoping for the future of someday when that might happen. But we'd think more about and place on a higher priority the processional that happened in Jerusalem. So Jesus Christ, we praise you for coming into Jerusalem. 
We praise you for coming in as the king. We praise you for not demanding but laying down your own life for the joy set before you. We praise you that Sunday, Easter Sunday has come and you have risen. So work that in our lives this week, we pray. And as we we work with one another, make us different people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.